Farage and Scott. Then he went full conspiracy theory stuff again. He's not far off. He's not far off from what they were saying in the 30s in Germany, saying why Germany lost World War One. Because uh, what I'm assuming they're going to do, and I think they're already starting to say it on Twitter, is they've been stabbed in the back, which is a, an exact, <laughs> exact phrase from Germany in the 1920s to say why Germany lost World War One. It's um, it's interesting to see how much pushback we're going to get from this because I assume, long term, he's going to say if you'd vote me in, it would have been a success. Did anyone see the Farage interview last night? Yeah, I can uh, talk about it anyway because you know it's just it's just I another grifter, isn't it? He's but a chief I... grifter. My opinion on it more is the fact that he's like shouldn't even be given a platform. He's not a former minister. He's not a politician. He's not an expert. He's a yeah, as you say, a grifter. He's a con man. Like why he's the hell are they? Why are they giving? Yeah, he's a. Why are they giving him a platform? You know, that's that's the more the the, the side that I've come from on it. Yeah, it, it is really strange. Yeah, but again, it's the it's the 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 I don't know. You know that the kind of that's the same. All those people that you work with come from conservative backgrounds. So uh, a view like his doesn't seem extreme. No. So no, it doesn't it's seem not... as extreme to them as it does to maybe those of us who grew up in areas, you know, with, with a lot of immigrants. I mean, little like the street island, don't you rather? What's interesting about what Farage said in the interview was how the, the conservatives don't represent, uh, or yeah, they, they don't represent community. And he and he was saying we need to go back to this sense of community, which is ironic, you know, in regards to Brexit. But he was also pushing the, you know, um, immigration is, you know, it, it's it's not it's not affecting people within Westminster as it is, you know, in working class communities. And he's very good. And, and this is a terrible thing, but he's very good at tapping into this. Uh, I'm like I'm just like you guys. I'm yeah. you know you know. You know, like the guy down the pound shop. Yeah, like I'm like this guy down the pub. You know, I'm 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 one of you. I'm just an ordinary bloke. I like a drink. I like a smoke. I'm proud to say I'm British through and through. I love pie and mash and kippers. I watch Top Gear in my slippers. I am down to earth like any one of you. Um, but you really went to college and expensive private college where the boarding fees are thirty grand a year. Then you went into the city where you know you made a pretty packet picking up a bonus every year. No. And he's very good at doing that, even though he's not. He's he's and fake. That's what Mussolini did. That's what they did yeah. in the twenties and the thirties. We're one of you. We're all of you. We're one big pie that looks after the community. He's pulling all the same stuff. No one's yeah. pulling him out. <laughs> Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday Roast. We have two wonderful guests with us today, of course. Uh, let's start off with Super Tans. Tan, can you tell us a bit about yourself for people who may be living under a rock and don't know who you are? I make political content for the exasperated, mostly. <laughs> so I make videos, I talk about the Conservatives, um, and just try to voice what people are feeling, really. And where, where can we find you? Um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube. Wonderful. And Terry, for anyone who's li also living under a rock, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Or oh, under the age of 45. <laughs> I mean, what am I? This is my 42nd year in the media. It'll be 42 years in December. Look at that. Right. And, I look, and I still look great, don't I? You know, 63, blah, blah, blah. Um, I never, got, never really got anywhere. So uh, there you go. But, but I've never had to work for a living. And doing a fantastic stand up tour at the moment. The word is Terry Christian, the naughty nineties and more. Uh, clips of the word, some of your favourite clips of the word on a giant screen, and it's a comedy show. And uh, yeah, I'm coming to a place near you soon. I've even done Ireland. I'm back in Belfast. I'm going to Belfast in uh, September. I've done a gig there before, you know. A quick question do, do you think the word in its original format from the nineties, would would work today if it was if it was introduced today? Would it work today? In in its very original format, as I imagined it, yes. I think mm -hmm. one of the problems was I went in to do a show, having eight years' experience of uh, doing music magazine shows on the radio, and understanding, you know, listening to bands from the demo tape stage onwards, and suddenly I was uh, I was working on a show where I knew. 
the direction. I mean, I, I would have better guests on my Tuesday night show on Piccadilly Radio than they've managed with 30-odd of them working, you know, on a Friday. And that have better music on a lot of the time. You know, you, so everything involved having to argue rather than be listened to, you know, if you understand, because yeah. it was that. And well, we must know best because, you know, we're sort of posh. It was a, a YTS scheme, basically, for ex-public schoolboys. So, you know, I mean, it, you know, it wasn't like they were all bad. It was just, it was quite tiresome to kind of, when you, when you, co it's a collaboration, you know, it's a big teamwork thing. And you're not, you're having a fight, you know, for even the most basic stuff, you know, like eight weeks of arguing the toss to get Oasis on for what became their first TV, you know, oh. doing Supersonic. <laughs> uh, they never had the cranberries on. They argued the again, they wouldn't have the cranberries on doing Linger. Because what at the, the time, wow. was, well, I mean, the big, the big thing at the moment, Terry, you know, in, in London is um, um, acid jazz. I said acid jazz, <laughs> what? White blokes with goatee beards playing old old 70s funk. I you think know. it works nowadays because I think someone's, I think we're crying out for culture nowadays. We've got a cultural deficit. And a lot of people think that's to do with the fact that they've taken away, you know, the doll, really. that Because that's how a lot of people came to prominence, isn't it? Like they could actually afford Oasis. to... Which is why there's an argument for UBI, but that that um what was it the thing with Ben Elton um that's on a that used to be on a Friday um oh, Friday yeah. was it was it not Saturday Night Live Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live that's it <laughs> on a Friday um, <laughs> they brought that back for one night and it was brilliant and it felt almost anarchic because we actually had like a really banging bit of telly on on a Saturday or a Friday night but I rewatched the word recently like I went back and watched the best of on Channel Four. And I was thinking, God, well, I miss this because there was like um, the tier five, um, tier five Friday, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, which was a very pale imitation. For very me, pale imitation, but there was loads of stuff going on. There was like icons, there were cultural icons. There was just people that would just come on that were in the arts, music, telly. Um, we haven't got that anymore. Our culture is just fell off a cliff edge isn't it why would the uk government be systematically defunding the arts and taking away opportunities from young british artists and musicians well the answer simply is about power and control the arts is about creativity and ideas the role of the artist in society is to question authority to dismantle power structures and reimagine a better society for all and that is extremely dangerous to the brittle power of populist government for anyone who doesn't know i'm alex also known as political x i run a youtube channel and i'm a historian and generally been getting into youtube ever since the russian debacle and interference in our uk elections my magnificent co-host max my name is Max. I run the Robespierre channel where I talk about British politics and Brexit in particular. Alex, what's our first topic for today? Celebrities and free speech. Was Gary Lineker right to step out of the shadows and condemn everyone? Well, I actually went on Good Morning Britain with uh, Richard Maidley and I uh, was arguing against, what's her name, is it? Dominique Sanders. She's from about a mile down the road from me in Manchester. And she's one of these ones that keeps using the word disingenuous all the time, you know, from these right-wing think tanks. And, um, you know, you know where, where they, they believe in free speech as long as they decide what free speech is. About free channel, speech. So, so are you saying that issues. he shouldn't have free speech, but you should? That's are you saying that he shouldn't have free speech, but Jeremy well, Clarkson should? that's actually factually not what I'm I've said. I'm just asking you. I've said So that... we agree in free speech. We both agree on that, don't we? Yeah, but there's a okay. difference. You're Hang being... on. So, can I... So, sorry, can I just so, finish? No, no, no. Please, can I just ask you a question? Then you come back yeah. So we both agree on free speech. So are you? who should decide on who has free speech then? You? No, because that's not what I've said. So, I've so, said so what I say is, I no, 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 I well, what I'm saying is, I want everyone to have free speech. Yeah, but you're then, being disingenuous. No, no, then I want okay, to see. Then, so then I want to like see to what they what, okay. what they are <laughs> saying, and then I can <laughs> judge so like by what they say. Yeah. And so that that was all it was to me with Gary Lineker. It was like, well, he's entitled to have an opinion. Also, they were doing that thing of building the straw man, saying, well, he said that our government were like Nazi Germany. Well, no, he said the language they used was reminiscent of 1930s Germany. But obviously, they always do this. Well, what you're saying is, and you go, oh, no, that's not what I'm saying. And then already you're being ghastly. So I, I went on, you know, and put up with uh, Richard Maidley's overlong questions and where you're, you're losing the will to live before he gets to the final bit. And then you go never heard of that particular case that you're trying to paint me into a corner with.
this is what I think. Uh, so yeah, it was interesting. I, I just, to be fair, I I normally get a bit triggered because a lot of these subjects are visceral to me as a working class lad. But um, this time I didn't, and you know, for this Dominique, I, I mean, I, I felt sorry for her. She was drowning from the minute she opened her mouth, so I just let her go. But yes, Gary Lineker's allowed. He's allowed to say what he wants, uh, and not just because I I agree with him. It, it's because what he's saying is is you know is is well thought out. It makes sense. It's 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 funny how they try and go on down that angle, and yet you know they can have secondary jobs and also be politicians. So it's almost like, well, hold on a minute, I can go and work in this second career direction, whatever that may be, consultation or being on TV. That's fine. But for someone else to voice their opinion that people might listen to, bang out of order. <laughs> that was your debate. Good morning, uh, Britain, about MPs and <laughs> second jobs. I remember when I was uh, working at BBC Radio Derby back in the 80s, the local leader of uh, Derbyshire County Council was David Bookbinder. He was actually from Manchester, um, you know, from Cheatham Hill. And he was uh, Elkie Brooks, his uncle. Remember the singer, Elkie Brooks? And... Mm -hmm. um, he used to come in the station, and that's his big bugbear back in sort of 1982-83 was Tory MPs with second jobs. And and to get the corruption out of politics, even if you, you have to double, you know, the, the kind of wages MPs, you just say you can't have a second job. And uh, that seemed reasonable. What used to make me laugh when David Bookbinder would come in, and I was seen as a young kid doing the punk show, and he's the leader of Derbyshire County, so he'd come with like a bit of an entourage and have everybody all. Oh, you've got a big guest in now. He'd always come in and speak to me because he was a big City fan and I was a United fan. So he'd come in to try and annoy me. Tan, what's your take on Gary Lineker? Well, the interview was hilarious, wasn't it? It was like um, Alan Partridge interviews. Um... Says he's getting death threats online. Uh, people calling for his execution. Well, I think politicians get that all the time. Well, I was going to say, is it all that actually? Is that that big a deal? No. You serve simply to alarm the public and to inflame the farmers, which is exactly what you've done. Why don't you just apologise and make it nice? Fuck that, and fuck that, and fuck you. Not so great. Something sort of bizarre about that, isn't there? Because yeah. Zelensky used to be an actor, and he played a role. As a president, didn't he? <laughs> Acting, and now he is president. In, yeah, yeah, yeah. Story within the story within the story. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Brilliant. Like Russian dolls. Um, let's not say Russian. Thank you. <laughs> if you're new to the channel, be sure to click the subscribe button. And I think Lineker handled it perfectly because he's just like a mild-mannered fella. He was just like water, wasn't he? He's like, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. And Maidley's not used to, I think, that kind of pushback. But generally speaking, he's a freelancer for the BBC. It's not like, you know, it's his job. But then there's myriad issues with the BBC anyway. If they're talking about bias and people having political opinions, there's at least three Tories heading up the BBC. One less now, Sharp's gone. Um, and um, yeah, so absolutely, he's got every right to speak about what matters. And this is exactly what people need. And that's why there's so much pushback against it. We need celebrities to have a voice to uh, because they're trusted figures so they might be able to yeah they have a degree of influence of course but then of course these celebrities are putting themselves on the line by doing this because the mail and the tabloids will come for them and smear them by doing it so it's not like it's a you know it's, it's quite a selfless thing to do i think in many ways because well, again he can't help but be on the right side of history you know if you well, think this is about the it thing. yeah he's you know, on the so, right side so, of and, and also lenica doesn't need the money anymore so he doesn't care if he well, pushed well, back of course, on him. exactly he's got no skin and in the it, game is he i mean he well it, but apart from as, the fact that he grew up as a his, his dad was a greengrocer wasn't it his dad yeah was working on the market a greengrocery store on the market what's also What's also interesting about this is how the, the BBC reacted, but they didn't react to Andrew Neil. Andrew Neil nope. talking about Brexit, talking Alan about immigration, Sugar. Alan Sugar as well. But Andrew Neil also runs The Spectator. So this would this is in a sense in contradiction, you know, in, in competition with the BBC or at least some parts of the BBC. Um, but for me, the worst part was that Gary Lineker was brought up in the House of Commons by the Tories. Like, why did they do that? Like, this is meant to be, why, why was this, you know, why, why was a celebrity and his free speech being mentioned in the House of Commons by the Tories? Of... It's yeah. because he's cutting through. Well, I mean, also, it, it's, as I said, when, when we did the debate on Good Morning Britain, I said it's not as if Gary 
to go in on a match of the day and saying, well, before highlights of uh, Manchester City, of course, <laughs> can I just say that I really disagree with uh, Suella Braverman. But he <laughs> does, Gary does have a bit of a bias towards Leicester. I mean, he did actually turn up in his boxes because he made the outlandish bet at the beginning of the season that Leicester wouldn't win the title. And if they did, he'd turn up naked and present the show. So there is that, it's interesting how there's that element of bias that's within Match of the Day that's sort of allowed, but then bringing in politics outside of that isn't, and it's not employed by the BBC. Well, I mean, no, that's no, another no, thing. Know that, know that somebody supports somebody. So obviously, yeah. you know, Jimmy Hill, Fulham, Coventry, we've been Coventry. thinking of, but, you know, obviously now it's more banterish, you know, because you've got Alan Shearer there as a Newcastle lad, you know, lifelong Newcastle fan. You know, all of that kind of stuff. So obviously, you know, you know, for for Linnie, I mean, Leicester. You know, we know who he is, so that's relatable. That you like your own team. You know, I'm not going to sit there yeah. seething, going, "Oh my God, how can Jamie Carragher be so biased in favour of Liverpool?" <laughs> Him having played for Liverpool, coming from Liverpool, although he was actually an Everton fan. Everton supporter, yeah. It's not a lot of them are. The big myth about United was, uh, I mean, about Manchester was that there, were, there was as many City fans as United fans in the City, whereas, in fact, they've always been outnumbered three or four to one. Whereas in Liverpool, it is more 50-50 ever in Liverpool. So just talking about people on the right side of history, what about people on the wrong side, uh, Farage? What's... Oh, uh... <laughs> the grifter-in-chief. <laughs> what a twat, yeah. What a twat. Um... I, I, I will say just one thing before we skip on to, on, on to that, just because in Mein Kampf, it says... Foreign people are invading. That's said by Suella Bravman, who has a Jewish husband, and yet is telling everyone that she's not using language, even though you find that in Mind Camp, which was written in the 20s. The other one that's always interesting is David Cameron calling people coming over from Africa a swarm, which he said, which is also in Mind Camp as a description of Jewish people. And it's really interesting. I've not seen anyone, including Richard Maidley, who I think, as you said, he seems like a nice enough guy, is a total f-ing moron, along with a lot of the researchers in ITV. Because if they can't figure out that one of the most prolific and horribly prolific books from the 1920s has these words, then it says to me that their researchers aren't up to scratch and neither are the presenters. And I've actually said to Max off air, why are they hiring? So it's chasing ratings. I mean, I, I did a, a kind of moral moral issues and religious show called It's My Life for Six Series. Mm. And so we, we, we'd be about a social issue, but because we're funded by the religion department, ITV, we'd have to make part four of an hour show about religion. So if we were going to get, and, and this is where we were naughty, really, if we were going to get somebody who was, let's say, was a Muslim in, it always made better TV to get some kind of swivel-eyed loop you know, busting from the from the eleventh century, banging on about infidels. You know what I mean? So Immorality. And maybe the odd beheading, and, you know, the sentence for apostasy is death. That was always much more exciting than getting some lad from Bolton going, Well, yeah, well it might say that, but we don't really do that. So they're not thinking <laughs> about the consequences of that and how that normalizes dehumanizing language, because what you're describing there is dehumanizing language, which was exactly what happened Pre. But, but it's like those TV debate things are a bit of drama and that everyone's under pressure to get ratings. And, and in some ways, they take, you know, the swell of, how much do they really believe this stuff and how much of it is just purely a grift for power? Do you know what I mean? I think like, Jim Jeffries. Of course, it's a grift for power. I think Jim Jeffries said it quite well to your favourite Terry Piers Morgan um, on the Bill Maher show in the States. No, they, Bill, wouldn't Bill, be, they wouldn't be doing this shit Bill, with yeah. Russia. Are you crazy? So you calm down, Bill. There is no Muslim ban. If there was, <laughs> oh, 80... fuck oh, off. Sorry, why don't we... Fuck off. Okay. It's a fucking Muslim ban. They said there was a Muslim This is the point of Muslim This is a talk about the hysteria. I'm talking about 85% of the world's Muslims are allowed in the country. This is what you do, Pierce. You say, he hasn't done this, he hasn't done that, he's not going to do all these things. Give him a fucking chance, mate. And you know what I mean? And Why not? Hitler didn't kill it. the Jews on the first day. He worked up to it. <laughs> Mate. All right. That, that, see, I have to stop you. That, that is the exact. That is the exact. 
ridiculous, hysterical, over-the-top nonsense if people that is, I'm afraid, making Germany people like you right away, then it wouldn't have killed He's not the new Hitler. You just like... You just like that you won The Apprentice and you have a famous friend, mate. That's all you fucking like. Right, mate, can mate. I say one thing? I know you, that's all you like. Losing, that's all you like. You're losing your audience. You're not losing my because audience. Because you're sounding unpleasant. Am I and losing you're also it? not basing... And that's the thing. You start off with the language. And then this, this, this ties in with free speech, but it also ties in quite nicely with Farage. Is that the reason that... And I'm going to throw this over to Max. Max, is this the reason why Farage is on? Is it because he's controversial and he gets ratings? Well, I, th I think it's two things. Um, allegedly, he, he was the one who put himself forward for interviews. So in the run-up to Brexit, um, when the BBC or, or ITV or whoever were looking for somebody to bring on to a show, Farage was always available. So that meant that he was able to present himself and his position on every topic. So if they were talking about the NHS, he was there to talk about, well, if we leave the EU, we'll get rid of all these waiting lists, we'll be able to get rid of all these foreigners who are putting pressure on the NHS. Uh, if it was talking about unemployment, he said, well, if we get rid of all these foreigners, we'll be able to put British people into these jobs. So he was, he was always there and he became part of the furniture. He became part of the narrative. And, and people associated him with Brexit. They associated him also with politics, even though he was a member of the European Parliament. Um, but he didn't have a real role in British politics. But for some reason, he was always there. And I think part of it was because he was always available. So they, if they were desperate, we need somebody at the last minute, bring Farage on. And he, he was able to use that to his advantage. And, uh, and he became a household name because of that. But it's, it's quite funny how he lost to a dolphin, and I think he also <laughs> lost to... He's just a con man, as far as I'm concerned. He's a con man. And what you were describing there is like one of the key components of building a brand, like the whole populism aspect. Very similar to what Johnson did, except, you know, he's like a pound shop Johnson, really. Um, but yeah, he was just, instead of doing the actual job that he was being paid for, and he is still getting money for to this day as an MEP, he was too busy fanning around on camera, smoking a cigarette, thinking, you know, pretending he's like a working class hero when he's not. Um, very similar to what, what Johnson did. Um, and by trying to make himself relatable in that way, he was able to tell those barefaced lies, get away with it. Well, well I mean, but, but he's just Dave down the pub. He's like Nigel, the golf club bore. So because he's there, you know, <laughs> spouting simplistic drivel while waving half a pint around in a glass and yeah. calling that common sense, you've got your Dave down the pub types of, oh, that's right, you know, there's too many of them over here. But, you know, I mean, just these absolute idiots, you know, uh, and those sort of blokes who think they're the cleverest man that they've ever met. And yet they've never read anything. They go, well, yeah, you give me all those facts, but what I reckon is, and it's like, well, I think the moon's made of cheese, mate. And I reckon that. And, but you know, there's no, there's no logic. There's no help in these people. And you, and you do sometimes wonder if the human race isn't actually branching out. You know the way we, we you know, got this primates. One lot stayed eating bananas, swinging in the trees. The other lot ended up going on the ground and. You know, inventing the. We have a lot of like pub babes that just kind of hang well, around. I mean, listen, you know, for some of them, you know, it's like this idea. Obviously, you know, we still live in a very class-heavy country, so this idea of like appealing to a certain section of the world, you know, when you grew up on council estates or you grew up in working-class areas, it was always noticeable that there, there weren't that many working-class Tories, but the ones that there were were absolutely stupid. They weren't bright people. Yeah, you know, yeah they I agree. I grew bright. up in a proper... They, 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 yeah, they, they, they thought it made them better than anyone else. I mean, That's in the South, you got more of them because they were kind of bribed by Thatcher because obviously their council houses were worth a lot more. So they could sell yeah. up their scrubby council house and move out to, you know, a, you know, a semi-detached in, like, you know, in Essex in the sunshine. You know what I mean? 
that's exactly what happened in our area. Like some people bought their council houses, made a bit of money, and then thought that they were like a Tory or they were like going to ever be like the you know the rich people, but they they never would. Like it, it just that's how they get you. That's how they con you. And the thing with Farage really reminds me of how Kelvin McKenzie gets people with like this, or used to get people with the sun. You know, and and the, the description is so horrific of how he described sun readers in. I don't know if you've ever seen the description of how he described oh, sun wow. readers, but I can't say it because it's so full of horrific slurs. But he describes the readers as a bit of a fascist. You know, the guy down the pub who, you know, and you know that they were so simplistic in terms of like headlines and getting people to believe the headlines. Two thirds of sun readers voted Labour most of the time. Back then, yeah. Well, I mean, the thing is, a lot of people would just get a, a newspaper for the telly page and uh, the football on the back. They weren't bothered about the stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I don't even know if that was that big a thing. You know. I hate to say it, but the Sun used to actually get decent pundits to write in the back because I remember Harry Redknapp used to be in the back of the Sun. You know, a lot of those papers would sell themselves on what was on the back page. You know. Um, yeah, but in the middle, it was all sensationalism and horrific misogyny. I mean, the way they well, used I don't to know. I didn't people. read it like you, Tom. <laughs> I didn't read it, God, but it was always on the side around my granddad's house. Or my <laughs> oh, I, your granddad read the sun. Now it's all coming out. It was just for page three. <laughs> but he was a proper working class salt of the earth guy. He was still climbing up trees until he was 70. You know, he was a landscaper. Um, and he, you know, they was always just around when I was growing up. <laughs> he was a regular working class guy, he was a landscaper, you know, it's not exactly a miner, is it? Well, no, I don't <laughs> mean like, I mean, I don't mean yeah. like landscapers. He In did garden of the working class movement. He and did gardens, for God's sake. The, the local landscapers trade I'm sorry that there's no mines in Essex, Terry. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> what, can I, what can I do about that? If there had been, it'd have been downer. <laughs> Jesus, yes. we're flat here, mate. <laughs> are we getting? Are we getting the north-south divide again? I'm more working. No, I always no, feel no, like we. I that. almost felt. Terry there, there was like an element of the Monty Python sketch. Oh, an element oh, of the Monty Python sketch. This, this, this is your little oh, out now, <laughs> Right, okay. You know, nothing, you've got nothing to be ashamed of. How mouldy was your house? Intimacy. My house was this mouldy. <laughs> <laughs> you are wrong. Had a, we had pneumonia <laughs> 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I grew up in the shadows of like um, Felsted School, like big. My anti-Tory like sentiment came out really young. Like I lived in a little free up, free down, and right in front of us was one of the most prestigious schools then in the country. You know, so it was a massive class divide. Like we oh, were. Oh, could you not go to that school? Did I fuck? No. <laughs> well, 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 where was I? You know, we, we were we were like properly poor. Yeah, I went to St. Bede's Catholic Grammar School in Manchester, which is like the Catholic equivalent of a Manchester grammar. And it went private in the mid-80s. So when anyone trolls my Wikipedia, they go, look at you, you pretend working class. You went to a private school and you're going, well, it wasn't bloody private then, was it? It didn't. Until, yeah, because they were clever they... when I went there. <laughs> That's how they try and get loads of the politicians as well. Kiss Tamara, yeah. Tamara's uh, school change. But no, it was 15 at the time. I think back then it was like 15, 16 grand a year, even then in the 90s to, to go to that school. I went to like the little comp down the road and we had to be bussed into a different town, into like a local town to go to, to a comprehensive secondary. Um, so, yeah. Well, can, was... I, can I ask, like, for example, in Italy, there are private schools, but it's normally for people who can't pass their exams. What? <laughs> If, if if you can't pass the exams, you go to the private school, uh, and and you know you pay, and then you what? pass the exams. There, there is a touch of that with with a lot of private schools, where it's basically for for people's fit kids to get them through an exam. Max, did you feel like that was the case? Did you have how how does it feel with the class system over in Ireland? Like, did you is it something you noticed as much? It's 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 difficult to put your finger on because there there is there's there's a thing of money so there's there isn't really a class system in ireland but there is a money thing so what happened in the in the during the celtic tigers so the celtic tigers when there was the economic boom in ireland in 
in the late 90s and early 2010, 2000s or whatever you call it, um, before the crash. What 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 you notice if if anyone who and Terry has probably been back to Ireland a few times, but if you if you go and have a look around Ireland, you see a lot of this emulation of the 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 Lord's Manor. So when Ireland was under British rule, uh, you had the the landowner who lived in a mansion and uh, the tenant farmers who lived around the area, and they lived in little like shacks, but uh, little cottages, but. What you had, what you had now in the last number of years, is you had rich people trying to emulate that, and you had, uh, and I know people in Ireland who have, you know, who are single, they they're not even, they don't even have a, a partner, and they don't have children, but they they have like six bedroom houses, because mm. it's about showing, oh look, I yeah. I have money, and look, I can show it off, and I think it it, it harks back to the you know we used to be poor we used to have nothing now i have money now i have to show it off and but, uh, but i actually thought the class system was was as bad if not even worse in Ireland, uh, especially going to dublin you know which is where you know my cousins are and then i'd, I'd, I'd invite them along you know to these do's at lily's bordello and you know the opening night of the park and it was very much a kind of rugger rugby playing set and mm. you you know your ones who came from a money background and they would be really, really sneery at my cousins for having real Dublin accents. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, no, no, there is a. It's more. It, tell me, it's, it, yeah, it's more. Cousin in, Danny gave him a dirty look. <laughs> but it, it's, it's more. It's, it's more the case in 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 cities like Dublin, where. Uh, but if I, I'm from the country, so it's not so. It's not so blatant in the countryside, but in Dublin, yeah, you're completely correct. You know, you have the. The, the people who played football would be normally working class. The people who played rugby would be the doctors, the lawyers, the um, the accountants, people like that. So, yeah, and then they would be, like, quite snobby towards, uh, you know, football fans or people who are are not in their in their circle. I, so, um, Alex. I, went, I, I went to private school and we had football banned. They were like, no, 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 you've got to play rugby and cricket and... That's it. You can't you can't go and play football because and they would never give the answer. About ten ten years later, I went back to the school to coach football, and it was really interesting. They brought it in. They, they had a new headmaster, uh, first female headmaster in a private school, one of the major private schools, and she did a survey with the kids, and the kids all said, "We want football." So they brought it in, and we started coaching. But even then, when I was talking to the coaches that were full time. Or teachers that were full time there, they were saying there was a huge pushback from the rugby coaches who were trying to get rid of football, and it was like, well, it's, it's the country sport; you can't get rid of it. How? And the irony is, the biggest irony is that private schools arguably were the ones that set up the rules for football. But in World War One, what happened was because obviously, as you say, you know, it's public schools who invented the rules for what is modern day football. But in World War One. They refused to cancel the league to allow the players to go to the Western Front. So they had to finish the 1914-15 season. So <laughs> so that was seen then in the public schools as being disloyal. And so they stuck with rugby. I mean, rugby is a far less interesting game to play and kind of not, you know, it's a bit too stoppy starty, you know, as a kid, you know, to get into. And, and there's less skill level. I mean, even at my grammar school, we played football and rugby, but none of the PE teachers are very good at teaching football because you need a level of skill to to play yeah. rugby. You just need to be big and and if preferably fast. Oh, I I I I have. You deliberately showing me, Terry. Is that how you Ed work? Chasing. Are you trying to are you trying to crack in an argument suggesting that rugby? I mean, please go into New Zealand, go into an All Blacks pub. And well, why would I want to do that? I can think He's of lots of interesting things to go to New Zealand for. To see oh, a load yeah. of blokes running around chasing NA isn't one of them. I'll tell you what. Sorry, Tan. I'll, bring, I'll just finish on this. I spent uh, about half a year traveling the States coaching soccer, football. Mm -hmm. soccer. And, yeah, But that's actually, soccer comes to the word association, which is yeah. FA, football association. It's an English word that the Americans nabbed that we now hate which is really, well, less so these days. But the point was, I never felt within any of the schools that I coached out there that there was any class system involved with sport. So you could go and play American football, you could go and play basketball, you could go and play soccer. It didn't really matter. 
American football was given preference, but not a single kid couldn't be given the equipment needed to go off and play it. In America, went over there, obviously, football for the Italians, for a lot of the, the Spanish, even the Mexicans, and it was seen as not being American enough, so they, they wouldn't adopt football or soccer. I, I, I was over there filming uh, during the World Cup in 1990 for three weeks. Wow. And the only station you could get the games on was a Mexican station on UHF called KMEX. Oh, wow. And the only people that, that would ever talk to us would be like the hotel staff, you know, or all like, you know, sort of Central American or South American. So they were excited about the World Cup being on, and so were we. The Yanks didn't have a clue. So it's changed quite a bit then, because I was in... Well, yeah, I mean, I mean there, was, there was always a thing that it was more girls played at school over there. You know, it was a game where a lot of them would play it at some level, but it wasn't wasn't something that they wanted to watch on the TV, and also it wasn't being televised because they'd want to interrupt it every ten minutes for adverts. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, the adverts are an annoying factor within American sport. Uh, Tan, go on. What were we going to say? No, I was just going to say in Felsted, like growing up, we used to we we had very limited contact with the public school kids because the teachers wouldn't let them mix with the poor kids. And we were we, once um, a group of teachers actually came over and stopped the public school boys or the private school boys from playing a game of football with us. They wouldn't let them. Yeah, we were good for the only thing we were good for, essentially, as the poor kids in the village was taking the blame for all the crimes committed by the the kids that went to the school. So, yeah, I thought that was quite interesting that what you were saying is that it's maybe seen as too working class a sport, but broadly in terms of class in this country, I think that a big part of our reverence for it comes down to the fact that we've got a monarchy, um, broadly yes. speaking. And because, you know, their inequality, uh, their status perpetrates inequality just by its very nature of existence, I think. So, so I'll, I'll say one more thing on that. Uh, just It goes further. I think there's something else within that. Uh, I know during the Napoleonics, it was easier to get risen in the ranks in France than it was in the UK. You had to stand out. And generally, from stuff we've read at that point, it looks as if actually the, the rank and file preferred to have someone with an aristocratic background because they were almost like seen as a lucky emblem. Go on, Terry. Two-thirds of the infantry were Irish. Wow. I didn't know that. There you go. The, the, the number of great Irish, traditional Irish songs that are anti-recruiting songs from the time, like Arthur McBride, because obviously Napoleonic Wars was very soon after the 1798 Rebellion, and then Robert Emmett's Rebellion was at 1803 or 1805 or whatever. So there was still that. And yet one of the reasons why they recruited the Irish and Scottish, so even the Crimean War as well, was the English working class were that poor and so badly fed, because at least the Irish, when there were potatoes, the lump potato was full of vitamins, they didn't have teeth to bite the cartridges. So they had no front teeth to bite the cartridges, whereas the Irish and the Scottish troops did. So you could have a faster reload round, couldn't you? Well, which which is pretty much one of the key reasons we won everything. But that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Good knowledge, Terry. Well, yeah, it's reading. It's going it? reading yeah. books, mate. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur McBride, great version by Paul Brady. Arthur McBride. So it's and it's actually a, from the time. It's an anti-recruiting song, and probably the only other Irish song other than uh, what is it? Um, Fairy Tale in New York that mentions Christmas Day. There you go. Um, I'm going to go to new yeah. topics, and I'm going to throw it over to you. Oh shit! What is it? <laughs> I think you quite like it. Stories, are they dead? Are they dead in the water with everything that's been going on? I saw your video on TikTok where you literally like, where do we begin with all the crap that's going on? Well, this is the problem that I have every week. Like, I've got a notebook. I write everything down in notebook. <laughs> literally just, I started this notebook, believe it or not, a couple of weeks ago, and it is just full, mostly of swear words, I'll admit. Um, but I, I hope so, but you never know. They just won't die, will they? They just keep coming back for more. But um, 
it, it's hard to tell at the moment. I mean, the national, the Nazi or the National Conservatism Conference was a particular low point. Even people like Dan Hodges was saying, whoa, they normally do this like a year out of power when they're trying to like regroup. But instead they went boom straight in with the with the hard right think tank funded um, evangelist conference. Suella Braverman spoke it, at that. Uh, which was particularly shocking. Um, but it's, it's really hard to tell. I mean, because Johnson's still lurking, isn't he? Like mm. a twat. Um, so it's hard to tell what's going to happen there. But then a part of me is wondering whether or not they're now using him as like a human shield to deflect from the behaviour of their own ministers, like Swella Braverman's misdemeanours. But Sunak is weak as piss, unfortunately, isn't he? He's not going to take any action. He's not going to... Something really weird about him, isn't he? I have friends who are aristocrats. I have friends who are upper class. I have friends who are, you know, working class. But I'm not working class. You weren't even looking at how much it costs to fill up your car. I'm an enormous Coca-Cola fan. Uh, Coca, yes, I won't drink. No Diet Coke, no Coke Zero. <laughs> Never any Pepsi. Well, he's... he's, is, it, he's... is it the Cockney accent you're talking about? <laughs> he's stuck, isn't he? Like... He he has to appease the people that Suella represents. Yeah, he has, he has to appease those people in order to maintain his position. And I think he's just appeasing his in-laws. <laughs> he's rich. Why? I'm, I'm telling you, if if I could find myself with that much money, you'd never see me for dust. I wouldn't be standing to be prime minister. No, no, and, and and I asked the exact same question, and you can apply that to Berlusconi, for example. Why did Berlusconi become prime minister? He has he's a billionaire. He doesn't need to do this. It's about protecting the money. This is what I think contact. it is. Yeah, well, contact, but also about protect. So putting, making sure that there's laws there to protect your. Like if you have huge oh, amounts of money, yeah. and if you look at multimillionaires and billionaires. Their their primary concern is not paying taxes, not paying, not giving any, not even giving one pound away. They prefer, they prefer to to spend two pounds to keep one pound. And this and this is why I think Rishi Sunak is prime minister. He doesn't need the money. He should like if he he earns about thirty million pounds passively a year in yeah. through his investments. He doesn't need to be a prime minister. He's not doing it for the money. He's not doing it because he cares about the country. He's doing it because he, he needs to, he wants to make sure he protects that. Uh, I don't know, is it for himself, for his wife, for his kids or what? And if you look at the Trump, the same. Why, why did Trump become president? To avoid the problems that he's facing now. To Legislation avoid... to protect the future. Yeah. And, and like, also... Well, like Berlusconi, for example, he became prime minister in order to get um, um, immunity from prosecution. So it's about... I mean... Sorry, go on. Terry. Yeah, immunity. No, I was just going to say what's terrifying about the Tories, and this is for a lifetime. I, mean, I can remember my parents panicking when Ted Heath got in, because it's that whole when when you're living on the very edge, a pound less a week, or your dad losing his job, or the three day week, and, you know, you read because obviously if, if the the wages went down a bit, then you're back on the, on free school dinners, and you've got all that kind of humiliation to go through. Mm. But, but, I mean, Thatcher, you thought the Tories would never come back after what they did to the country there. They did nothing for anyone. There was nothing anymore. If you were working class or even if you were middle class, it didn't really do anything. You know, it was labour, it was a trade union that created the, the middle classes. And now this is like the right-wing rats out of the cage. I've got, I still don't understand how Millie lost that election in 2015. Well, you know, it just seemed crazy to me. The press had a big part in that. I mean, the thing that really winds me up is I can relate to that. I had free school dinners. I had hand-me-down like blazers for school and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, what really I like to call me... that recycling now, darling. Yeah, it's re re yeah <laughs> repurposing. But what really pisses me off about it is while we're scrabbling around in the dirt, saving pennies, and we'll get fined significant sums of money if we just, you know, slightly fuck up our taxes, those bastards are taking tens of thousands from lobby, uh, you know, um, from different companies to lobby on, you know, their behalf, and you know, gambling companies which make historically poorer places even poorer, and they're they're just legislating in their own interests and for their vested it's interests. It's Ours. It's feudalism. In feudal times, yeah. the robber barons, they, they paid no taxes. The serfs and the peasants paid all the taxes. You know, I mean, and it's the same now. We pay all the taxes and they take it all and shove it offshore. 
you know, where, where's all that public money going? You know, that Circle has had and all these other kind of companies, you know, all the PP companies, it's, most of it's gone offshore. We can't trace it's, it. We don't, yeah, the we don't know who yeah. shipped it off there. It's funny how you see people like Aaron Banks going on Twitter, going, oh, look, this company's left. It's It's gone. It's all because of the government. And it's not this, oh, they don't love our country. They haven't stayed in here. Why don't they love our country? But for anything else, they'll use that as their first excuse. But when it's business, it's like, no, 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 nationalism, nothing to do with that. Mm. And then I think the other thing is, and this is interesting you brought up the landlords, it's also the freeholds, which I think is a feudal system. You pay 400, 500,000 for a, a small place in a block of flats. And then you find out that actually you don't really own it, that it's owned only for 99 years, that you have to pay rent. And if you do anything that might be within the conditions of those rules that mess up the property, they can actually take the property away from you. If you don't pay, well, they can take the property the away from you. Even if you own the freehold, you don't actually own the land that your property is on. You, what you have is an agreement of tenure like a 12th century, you know, peasant had. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the only person yeah. who's allowed to own land is the king and what's the in, in this country. And Burn we're probably the only, the only modern country in the world where the most valuable asset, land, is non-taxable. One of the best ways to tax the rich, where they can't hide it offshore, is just go, right, land is now taxed. If you pay council tax on a one-bedroom studio flat or whatever every year, why can you own 200,000 acres of land and not pay a penny on it? In places like the USA and elsewhere, the tax per acre, aren't they, per year? And that creates a, a real, um, if you like, a real kind of free market in land. And that would bring house prices back. That would bring land. And you can't even find out who owns land. Do you know no. what I mean? Over here, yeah. it's something sacred. And, it's, it's and that in itself is very feudal. You know, it's, yeah. it's theft and nothing would, if you think about allowing people to buy the council houses at a discount, because you could always buy your council house, what Thatcher did was she bought in this idea, if you'd lived in it for 20 years, you could buy it at a discount. Where she was horrible was she wouldn't let local councils then spend that money on building new council houses, which is really cynical, nasty. But um, imagine if you created a free market in land, the amount of reheating of our economy that would create, but of course, you know, it would be no good for the landed gentry types. That's their tax dodge. I mean, did, didn't uh, Cameron's father-in-law uh, father own something mad like eighty thousand acres of like pine forest or whatever in Scotland? Wow. Something weird like that. And one of the things that the Scottish government were going to do, you know, if, if Scotland got independence, was bring in a land tax. So that, Ooh. you know, hence the panic. I wonder why we're not taught about any of this in school. <laughs> I'm going to throw out three questions, see if you can guess the answer to this. Who owns the seabed? Who owns the Queen. seabed in the UK? Well, the, the king what? now. So you reckon it's the king? Who owns the seabed in the, the UK? Seabed, the bed of yeah. the sea. The bed of the sea. Well, it's going to, it's going to be those wank... It's going to be the royals, isn't it? It's got to be. It's got to be the royal Max. Poseidon. Poseidon. Should say Man and Mactier, shouldn't he? He's the Celtic god of the sea. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, it is the it is the king. It is the king. Who owns Regent Street? Uh is it Duke of Westminster? Duke of Westminster, Max? I don't know, a private company. Pan? Uh no idea. No idea. Crown Estate, so it's the king. And then yeah. the final question is. Devil's ass. It's a cave. Who owns that, do you think? Is it the council, the government, or the king? Oh, it'd be the king. The, uh, yeah, the only Sandra. person who's allowed to own land in Britain. I was going to say family. I was going to say Jacob Rees Mogg, you know, according to the name, but uh... <laughs> the well, I was going to say Prince Andrew based on the same. <laughs> but, yeah. but is it Nottingham Castle where there's Mortimer's Hole? Where uh, <laughs> a certain king got, got killed by having a red hot poker shoved up his jacksy. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember the king. What a way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I do. Uh, but I mean, you read, uh, people want to bring back hanging, public hanging. Oh, of course, right. you know, that's why you should never have referendum, should you? 
No, well, no, I mean, that's They've what I'm about with the National Conservatism Conference, to be honest with you, because some of the people speaking there, like that J.D. Vance, the senator that was a speaker, he's like pushing that great replacement theory nonsense. And he's the one who also referred to immigrants um, in America as like an invasion, using the same dehumanising rhetoric. Mm -hmm. And I'm worrying because they're like, well, they're evangelists, but they don't mind, you know, electrocuting people or giving them the injection to kill them. Uh, but a part of me is wondering if like they're gonna they're gonna try and do that. But I just don't think it'll wash here. I don't think that level of well, it, it gets worse. I always wonder what, what, what the, wonder what the Iroquoians and the Cherokee thought about those immigrants invading. That's the thing. That's the irony. <laughs> so it's the president. How? Who? Who? Are, I mean, this is the thing with the. I don't agree with it, but the January sixth thing. You can argue that. America has the president of we'll have a revolution, get rid of government. It's set that president as well as stealing land and immigration being the building blocks of the country. And yet you've got people pushing back at that. But I mean, it's no different here. We've got people who are first, second generation and they're saying we're pulling up the ladder. And we don't want anyone else in. I mean, I think there was a stat. Uh, I think Femi brought it up where he said the, the amount of urban housing in the UK is the equivalent of the tidal land lost and gained on a daily basis in the UK. The problem really seems to be is that people don't want housing in the South and we haven't got, we don't seem to have found a way of getting people to use the entire spectrum of the UK. People don't seem to want to go to North and migrate South and into London. People that don't want to migrate to Scotland. Like, I mean, you know, you can get down to London from Manchester, all right, but you try getting from Manchester to Hull, West to East. You know, if I, if I want to get a train to Norwich, Five hours from Manchester. I mean, that is ridiculous, isn't it? That's crazy yeah. in this day and age. But they don't yeah. invest in the north. Like, they haven't invested in the infrastructure for years and years and years. Um, and when you look at what they did to the north with austerity and then with the so-called levelling up... Well, Thatcher, funds, Thatcher destroyed the north. Well, she she did initially, but then the then the Tories came along after Labour and destroyed it with austerity. And then with their so-called levelling up fund, they put that all into rich southern Tory constituencies, taking more money in infrastructure away from the north. So people say, oh, well, you know, they, they, they paint the north as a less desirable place to live. It's because the north has been systematically underfunded for decades and and if you um, want investment you need infrastructure and if you don't have infrastructure you you're do. not going to get investment well well i mean i mean the, the weird thing is you take somewhere like greater london and the transport link so every time they improve the transport links in greater london you know you might live in some kind of kipple equivalent of burnley but you can get into the center of london in like 25 minutes yeah and it's sort of and so your house suddenly becomes worth a fortune but it's northern taxpayers that are subsidising you yeah. and what you've yeah. made because we don't yeah. get the same. Even in Manchester, our, our tram fares are really expensive compared to the tube and stuff like that. Bus yeah. fares in London are cheaper than up here because we, per person, we don't get subsidised the way you know a person living in in Greater London, at the southeast gets. Isn't, isn't I, I think a, a single in London's two ninety. What's the tram in? In Manchester, I've, I've got no idea. I don't go on the tram. You know, <laughs> I don't. I don't travel steerage either. If I go anywhere, first class. Terry, Terry's like uh, Terry's like uh, Nigel Farage. He is a chauffeur-driven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's a chauffeur-driven uh, Range Rover. <laughs> the, the Range Rover is no. driven by two southerners. Like the southerners this up is... front. <laughs> You have to have these standards and don't let them drop too much. Even if you, even if your whole life's a, pre a hollow pretense. <laughs> I'll tell you what I would think would make a change, and they'll never do it, not the Conservatives, I doubt that Labour have got, I've got, I've got to be frank, I don't think Labour got the brains to do it. I'd shift Parliament to Hull. And you see how quickly the infrastructure gets redeveloped in the north. <laughs> Labour would do it, shift Parliament. Up. Well, I, I mean, the was that argument about the, the actual middle of Britain is uh, just just below the Cheviots, isn't it? And uh, and talk about building a, 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 a separate government place there, you know, just uh, you know, a bit like Brasilia in Brazil, mm. you know, yeah. just where, where you put all government thingies. And this this was being talked about years years back. You know, it's one of those sort of weird ideas. But again, you, now with people working from home, you can still scatter it about. I mean, obviously, Reese yeah. Mogg has got has got this idea that all civil servants should go into work. 
when in fact that doesn't work so often that they, they have to turn up so many days every two weeks or whatever to go in and it's just them in the office on their own yeah well, well yeah but but it's because obviously people like you know um richard tice and morgan all them they've got massive investments they in own commercial, commercial buildings yeah whereas i know for a fact that people like capita they've been flogging off office space they yeah. have but it's but we don't get told this do you know what I mean? Not. And it's because there's so much money tied up from these people with, you know, in static stuff like bricks and mortar in this country. You well, know, whereas, you know, with, when, when, when everyone had the oil crisis, Germany, who didn't even have any oil, and are now suffering because they relied on the Russians uh, for oil, they reinvested in all their infrastructure in their industries. We didn't. We just closed them all down, you know, and used naughty oil, you know, to pay for people to be out of work. You know, for political reasons, you know, to you know, spending millions to uh, defeat the mining union and all the rest of it. I mean, just dreadful. This this country is like a basket case, really, and has You're been for a long time. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's it's fucked. The worst thing is, and it's something that was brought up. We've got loads of potential. It's just that they we've got a government that doesn't see it, and I I'm not convinced so far with Labour's policies. What if you've got a Labour leader and he loses an election? Kick him out. Don't let him sit again. Get rid and put somebody else in there. Well, yeah, and this is the thing. This is why, like, people like accuse me of being biased. Well, I'm a Labour member. I'm going to be a bit biased, but I don't base anything on hypothesis. And also, you've got to look at the climate in which Labour are trying to win an election this time. Everything is fucked. Everything's on fire. It's none of the regular, rules, isn't it? yeah, none of the regular rules apply. And most of our broadcasters and media are all really pro-Tory. So they've got to, you know, they're, 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 it's a Herculean effort. They're spinning about twelve plates. So. I don't judge them by the climate within which they're trying to win an election, if that makes sense. And if that makes me kind of biased or whatever, fair enough. But they're up against it, is all I'll say. So well, I, don't... I mean, they always were, I think, with the culture wars thing more so now. I mean, for whatever whatever happened last time around, with Brexit especially, it just let all the right-wing rats out of the cage. The you know, the sort of people who were never going to be in power because yeah. they're just too weird. You know, they don't know what they want. You know, they are literally the dog that chased a motorbike and then caught it. What does it do with it now? Yeah. And, and that's it. That's so, a great analogy. You exactly. know, even if all the boats got stopped, everything else, nothing yeah. good is going to come out of any of it. There's nothing there for any of us. Yeah. But it's, a, it's, a, it, it's all just tools to distract the boats. Why aren't we talking about, like, why aren't they talking about the lack of housing? Uh, boats. Uh, why aren't they talking about the, the problems with the NHS? boats why aren't they talking so everything is about distracting 13 years of distraction um and and for labor yeah my issue with labor is probably just that they don't i, I really wish Keir Starmer was a bit more you know ranty you know in the house of commons like say for fuck's sake or something like this i know he can't oh, do I would that. Love that yeah i'd love that but but i understand that he has i think it was james o'brien who described it as He's trying to carry, you know, um, fine china across an ice rink. <laughs> so, the, you know, he's he's he he has this. It's looking more and more likely that Labour are going to win, but he 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 better, he better not fuck up because there's a there's a real risk that he can. He could he could say the yeah. wrong thing. He could eat, you know, a, a bacon sandwich the wrong way, and the media would eat him for it. And and mm -hmm. there is this mountain, as you said, you know, there's this uh, the media all pretty much all of the media is against the Labour Party. So whatever they do, they're going to be criticised for it. And I think it's going to be, when they actually are in power, they're going to be criticised no matter what. They, but, but that's always do... been the case, hasn't it? Yeah. You know, that was always the case. And I mean, it's quite quite strange, you know, when you talk to, because I've always voted Labour, but you talk to, you know, the, the kind of, the, the massive Jeremy Corbyn fans and you're going, well, you know, he he seemed to attract it. He went out of his way to get himself bad press and go off, go off, you know, go off subject. So I thought he was a bit thick, to be honest with you. And and then it's and then he hid. So he didn't even stand the storm. He'd say these things and he'd hide. You know, he like I remember thinking, oh, great, you've got a left wing leader of the Labour Party. And he's defending. But then he, he wasn't the kind of intellect that a Michael Foote was. And then he came in and within three weeks he starts banging on about the Falklands and you're going, well, do you know what, mate? Listen, you might have a point, but shut the F up. 
this is yeah. not the time. Okay, cool. Yeah. You don't need to be talking about this. Why That's why we think And, and then, mono, then the kind yeah. of monomania about Palestine. You know, look, we all know it's dreadful, but there's other places in the world, you know, like the Stop the War Coalition. So they want to stop the war in, well, there or Iraq, but they don't want to stop the war in Syria or stop the war in Ukraine in 2014 or stop the Chinese killing, you know, killing the Uyghur Muslims. And exactly. you, want, you either want to stop all wars or you don't want to stop any of them. So it's, it, it's this kind of strange monomania, you know, and this, these obsessions. And you're mm -hmm. thinking, well, that's great. Deal with them, but get in power first, please. Yeah. So I'll, I'll finish off on this. The thing he lacks is charisma and a clear policy. And the reason that charisma is important, we can see from history, is that it sells your policy. This is part well, of the yeah, reason. I, I, this I mean, is part of the reason why Liz trusts Fame. I would turn around and say he must have had something if he's able to get onto the Glastonbury stage and he's got a YouTube. I'm not saying he did. No, I'm my, my, he my feelings, my feelings about Corbyn were a bit like, do you remember being there with Peter Sellers? Mm -hmm. You know, Chance the Gardener, mm -hmm. and everyone projected, <laughs> you know, their idea of what it should be onto him. So suddenly they needed a messiah, so Corbyn but, became some sort of messiah. that's no different figure. to Obama. Obama didn't have, if you read his policies beforehand, all he said was hope and change, but everyone considered him to have charisma mm -hmm. because he had a bit I of wit. I liked him. I thought Obama was great. He had the yeah, smarts, didn't he? And it's much more, there's less room for manoeuvre in America than even here. Um, and, but again, my whole thing with Starmer is, well, that's it. It's either Starmer or the Tories. What do you want? Exactly. Yeah. If you want I the agree. Tories again, you've already done that. Time to shut it now. <laughs> Indeed it is. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs> Tune in next week for another exciting story from the files of Police Squad.